Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about subsurface irrigation. Um, if you've got any questions for us about subsurface or above ground irrigation, any of that kind of stuff, be more than happy to talk to you about that today. Or quite frankly, we'd talk about anything that's going on in your farm if you want to. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here. Before we do, I just want to let you know we've got the Ag PhD field day coming up this summer. It is Thursday, July 29th. It's always the last Thursday in July. It's a free event that we host every year to say thanks to you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV over all these years. We really, really appreciate it. So we just want the opportunity to show you our farm and show you some of the research we're working on. And we also have brought in, we will have brought in this summer, a lot of other great ag companies to show you things that they are working on, new technologies, uh, new launches even. I know we've got a number of equipment and technology companies that will have world launches. So before you go to any of these other ag shows coming up later in the summer, you can see all the newest stuff right on our farm in a one-day event. And by the way, ours is free. Free parking, free admission, free food, free everything. Uh, we've got a lot of great entertainment throughout the day. We're even going to have an air show uh, in the middle of the day. Uh, we've got a lot of great farmers that are coming in from around the country to speak to you about what they're doing in their crops. Um, we have all the big ag companies will be there, whether it's uh, John Deere, Case IH, Agco on the equipment side. We'll have BSF and Bayer and all the big uh, chemical and seed companies there. And Again, we want to show you things we're doing on our farm and all the different research trials we're running. So our research lead, Glenn Hers and his team, has been uh, busy putting in plots over the last probably month and a half now, and we have so much good stuff to take a look at. And we'll talk about the issues that are pertinent for today, whether it's drought or new traits, new technologies, uh, soils, just anything that could possibly help you on your farm. That's what the Ag PhD Field Day is all about. So just go to agphd.com to learn more about that. Again, it's coming up Thursday, July 29th. Right now, let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag. All right, got lots of questions coming in, lots of feedback here on some things as well. Uh, let's start off with some insect problems. And Brian, you can take a look. The first picture looks a little different than the second one, but it could just be the lighting. Uh, this is from Josh in central Iowa. He said, I went to spray some soybeans I have planted down in the low timber ground. And two days before, there was nothing. Today, it was like a horror movie. There were moths everywhere and swarming, wondering what they are and wondering if I should add some insecticide in the tank or are these just a harmless bug? Looks to me like painted lady butterflies, that first picture, Brian, which would be thistle caterpillar. And if so, yeah, I would want to spray those. I'd want to get rid of them. But... Uh, that would be something I'd take a look at, Josh, and, and sometimes the pictures don't necessarily do the, the bug justice, but look at the painted lady butterflies. They've got, they look a little bit like a monarch, except much smaller, but then they've got an outer wing that's kind of a darker color as well, so could in, be that. In the last 10 years on our farm, we've sprayed twice for that particular insect. So if you don't, so for any of our listeners, if you don't know what bug you're looking at, then just bring it to an entomologist or take some pictures and send it to an entomologist in your area. 
have them take a look at it. So your university would have entomologists, your extension offices around you, but identify what it is so you know, hey, is this harmful <laughs> or is this not harmful? Because if it's not a harmful insect, then it doesn't, isn't going to do you any good to spray. On the other hand, if it is a harmful insect, you want to make sure you're getting it and getting it early. Because the problem with a lot of these bugs is they don't just feed on the crop. If it was literally just leaf feeding, especially early in the season, it would be no big deal. If you've ever looked at the hail charts, you know what I'm talking about here. You can lose a lot of the leaf surface and yield is barely impacted. What we worry about on the other hand, though, is many bugs carry disease. And when they feed on your plant, they don't just feed on your plant, they inject disease. And then later on in the year, your crop gets that disease, it really suffers, and yield is hurt in some cases very substantially. So that's a, a bigger factor than just the leaf feeding. All right, thanks for the question. Got the got a soil sample here. This is from Jay, and he said, I, I've got my grid soil sample readings, and what an eye-opener. Obviously, I need to focus on my NPK sulfur. Everything's low in there. Wondering <laughs> that how, doesn't sound good, does how it? important are micronutrients? Should I be putting micronutrients on there, yep. uh, or should I just focus on NPK and sulfur first? And then also the micronutrient manganese. Actually, it looks like that one's not in bad shape. Can I put micros on, get all the other ones on without overloading yes. the manganese? Yes. And now, don't feel bad when you when you look at this stuff. Brad and both I there, both have purchased ground oh that gosh. looks very much like that, Jay. Or so worse. we feel your pain. Yes. <laughs> okay. So here's at least you have manganese, <laughs> right? So here's and, and actually his potassium level isn't horrible. I, I doubt that it. I'm not going to call it good, but it's it's not horrific. Anyway, first of all, I don't know what lab this was run through. I don't know the accuracy of these tests or anything else. So. I, I would like to see more information so I can feel comfortable with that. But let's just assume these things are right where it says low or optimal for your rating. Personally, I think almost everything you got here is low. But anyway, the, the point is simply this. If you have enough dollars that you can do everything, then typically I'm doing everything. So I just bought some new ground here a couple years ago. What did I do? Number one thing, always dirt work. Number two thing, always tile. Number three, fertility. And some years I'll do that over a period of three years. But like in this case, we did it all in one shot. And we, I, I mean, we applied so much of all these different nutrients. Now, thank goodness we did because all fertilizer prices have gone up dramatically here in the last six months or eight months. But anyway, my point is, yes, micronutrients are important. And you don't have to get carried away, but at least get a little bit out there, especially if you're low, because typically that means you're going to have a decent return on investment if you're low and you at least put some fertility out there. We're going to talk a little bit about subsurface irrigation on today's program and take your calls and questions too. Stay tuned. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. 
Mycoapply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about Mycoapply Indoprime SC at indoprimecorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at Ag PhD we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. Get maximum spray drift control with Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Max Nozzles, the ideal nozzle for dicamba and 2,4-D applications, providing up to 95% drift reduction. Ensure you get the best coverage on hard-to-hit targets. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. And Brian talked about the Ag PhD field day a little bit earlier. We got an almost immediate response from Kel, who said, I hear you're having an air show also at your field day this year. Wondering, do you have a grass runway that I could fly into in the morning? No, unfortunately, Kel, we don't have a grass runway. There is no airport within five miles of us or anything. But the Sioux Falls Airport, which is huge and nice, um, is about 12 miles away from our field day site. So you could certainly fly into there and just get a car or something and uh, and run up to the field day. All right, let's uh, jump over to somebody else who might be flying in for the field day. It's our friend Kevin Matthews from North Carolina. Kevin, how you doing? Doing fine, sir. How y'all guys doing? Well, we're dry up here, Kevin. I don't know if you've heard us complaining and whining a little bit. Uh, it's it's not changed a whole lot, so maybe the whining should just stop because it's not doing us any good. How about in North Carolina? Are, are conditions good this year for you? Well, in our area, we're very good. Um, actually got some areas too wet and uh, in the river bottoms, a few of them. And then uh, and I saw one of the neighbor earlier today about one county over, and they've not had any rain. And very dry, but uh, a lot of the state is is in good shape, and then there's areas extremely dry. You know, when when it gets dry, everybody wants to talk about irrigation. We've had a lot of requests. Hey, guys, talk more about irrigation here, and and maybe even subsurface irrigation because that might be more doable for farmers with irregular shaped fields and and smaller fields. And I know you've got both of those situations where you're at in North Carolina. Talk to us about the the subsurface irrigation. Is it something that on a dry year like this can it keep up? And have you had good success? Yes, we've uh, had extremely good success, and um, it has uh, went extremely well. The You can't get behind. You've got to stay on schedule with it, and that is very important. The It's, um, hold on, it's, the uh, one key is, you know, a good install. You need a good design. You've got to be able to match the ET. Um, 
because you lose a lot of moisture just in ET each day. You don't realize how much you can use. You lose, and you got it takes a lot of water to meet that demand that the plants use. Yeah, and that's the challenge so, right um, now. Like here, Kevin, we're getting just all sunshine every day, which is wonderful if you got plentiful irrigation. But like you mentioned, evapotranspiration is uh, in high gear right now. <laughs> Anything out there that's wet, it's dry really quick. Yes, and and then you guys out there, your sun. I mean, we're hot and humid here, but y'all, y'all sun is so intense. It's, it really is, amazes me how hot it gets out there in the middle of the day. Yeah, and you know, I like sunshine, and as long as we've got plenty of water, we just don't. So here's a here's a shot, and I love what you said there, Kevin. You can't get behind. It isn't something where. Okay, I'll just let it get really dry out there and then catch up. You you got to kind of keep feeding some moisture all through the season when you need it to to keep up to a certain point. When when you look at those lines, the the one challenge I always had in my mind with subsurface irrigation is it's not like every single row is necessarily going to have a, a drip tape line right underneath it. How does it work for the rows in between? Do you notice a big difference? Can you tell where the lines are, or does everything kind of even out? Yes, the the first year of soils, we know we was extremely dry year. We got out, we was behind due to when we got the system up. So we did notice uh, favoritism to rows near tapes. Now, as our no-till progressed, uh, our years progressed, it uh, we don't see that. Um, if if the system is designed properly to match your soil types and your ET and your crop removals, then you can really, I mean, that water really uh, percolates throughout that soil. So it's just amazing how it works. And and it's the same way with the center pivot. Um, we used to, we was running our center pivots totally different before we got drip versus what we do now. And we've learned so much managing that water in the soil with the drip. And we've applied that with the pivots and what we're doing is putting less on more often and allowing that water to just wick up in that soil and um, it's amazing how the two uh, really work the same together we've really learned how to manage our water with the drip but you will not see the row-to-row favoritism as long as you have adequate moisture if you get behind yes you can see it if you think that i'm going to just wait and turn the water on when the crop needs it then that's not a good situation, whether you're on a pivot or a drip. But on the drip, then you're going to see the favoritism between the rows. But either way, you've done had yield loss on either irrigation system. A lot of our feedback we get, Kevin, is, oh, man, you guys have guys like Kevin Matthews that's crushing out some massive yields. I'm not getting that big a yield yet. Uh, what's he doing different? And I like when you give some of those tips like that. If here's some things we've learned over the years. How about going later in the season? This is one where we get a lot of questions around. I'm raising corn or I'm raising soybeans. What do you think about late season? When is the point you shut it off? Do you wait until senescence and it's dropping leaves before you quit? Or, or do you quit much earlier than that? Uh, we'll, uh, for corn, we're going to push it. Um, we'll go on past black layer. We'll go a week or so past black layer. Um, soybeans, we will actually, honestly, we will push it all the way up to a, a solid, you know, right at right when they start to turn, just as soon as they start to turn. And we probably go a little further than we should. Um, 
you know, Rob Dedman's working with us some on, he's just a really good uh, agronomist on the soybean plant and uh, learning a lot from him trying to, you know, maybe stop at irrigation a week earlier, save a little money. But, um, you know, you feel like you worked that hard, you pushed a crop that long, and you don't want to stop too soon um, when you get to that point. You know, I can see that. Well, you can't argue with the yield results that you're getting, and I, I agree with you. I'd rather have a little bit extra out there than not enough to make sure that we're going to get everything we can get out of this crop. Um, okay, looking at, at right now, you say the conditions are pretty good on your farm. Are you pushing things out with the water that you're applying right now in the fields? Actually, right now we're not uh, we're not able to irrigate. We're having so many thunderstorms that the river we you know we pump from rivers and creeks, and um, the water's pretty muddy and the soil moisture is ample right now. So we're not needing any. But uh, if we were irrigating right now, we would be pushing on corn. We would be putting our nitrogen, potassium, through uh, some phosphorus um, and some micros in there. We we would soybeans really be pushing the potassium as well, and uh, but right now we're you know the good thing is we got more dryland acres and we do irrigated. So when we don't need to irrigate because it's too much moisture, that means we're making more money across the farm, and I like it. <laughs> that is the goal. Yes, we we definitely want to make money, and if it takes investing in an irrigation system just to get the rain so you don't even have to use it that's that's okay by me i'd i'd rather get the moisture one yeah. way or the other one takeaway is we have noticed though darren over the many years of irrigation with the drip and even and and with the pivot but more so the drip whatever your typical yield is in your area dry land we almost every time double that yield um if we're averaging 50 bushel beans, we're making 100 bushel beans with irrigation. Um, now we brought our dry land up. We're in that 70 bushel range, and we're still staying about 100, 110 on irrigated. Our corn, uh, it seems like every year you almost double it unless it's one of those real good years, and then you're in that 260, 270 dry land, which is very hard to do in our area, and then you're in that 270 to 300 irrigated and you think well maybe it don't pay that good that year but that is so few and far between in a farmer's lifetime you don't even worry about that that's just icing on the cake when that happens if it ever happens again yes there's no guarantee of that that's for sure and we're talking with kevin matthews out in north carolina where farming isn't easy but really glad they're getting decent conditions right now kevin thank you so much really appreciate all the information appreciate you joining us and uh he's another guy if you're looking for somebody to follow on social media kevin's kevin's got some stuff out there that's pretty good and the group of guys that he works with with extreme ag have sure been fun to watch as well good luck to you kevin the rest of the season here thank you sir y'all take care bye you bet. Talking about subsurface irrigation on today's program and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You work for results. That's why the Enlist Weed Control System gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com.
Enlist.com. Enlist.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Your soil, your season, your edge. Make the new three-point Soil Warrior Edge from Environmental Tillage Systems your strip tillage system. Because you don't get to choose the condition of your soil, the Soil Warrior Edge is engineered to handle whatever's in your fields. That same durable engineering goes the extra acre when that's what you have to do. The new Soil Warrior Edge three-point mounted strip-till system. Learn more at SoilWarrior.com. Do you need to replant soybeans due to cold temperatures, heavy rains, or another weather event? Weeds don't seem to care, and you have limited options for last-minute weed control. This is when you turn to Spitfire herbicide from New Farm. Unlike other Phenoxy herbicides, Spitfire can be applied up to seven days before planting. Fields treated with the dual active power of Spitfire will benefit from weed control that will ease planting and help your beans establish a good stand. Spitfire from New Farm, here to help. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high yield toolbox. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Just had a great conversation with Kevin Matthews in North Carolina. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, get one of his counterparts over in the state of Iowa. Get Kelly Garrett on with us right now. Kelly, how you doing? Good. How are you, Darren? Not too bad. Not too bad. All right. So talk to us a little bit about irrigation. Where you're at, man, you've got some terrain out there. You don't farm in the easiest place in the in the state of Iowa to farm, yet you're cranking out some yields. What's the secret? It's got to be just one thing, right, Kelly? It's just, it's just one thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, we have some big hills, but the soil is really deep. And uh, Crawford County, where I live, actually in the years of 18 and 19 had the highest yield in the state of Iowa. Now in 20, because of the, the derecho, that was different, but those yields are, are, you know, attained here on a regular basis. And we feel that by using drip, we're trying to take productive ground and make it super productive where that is not always what irrigation has been done throughout the history of its life. You know what? That's, that's a good point. And when we think about it, it 
just because you have irrigation doesn't mean it's it's uh, going to be great. It takes management to get the most out of that. So you, you mentioned drip rather than necessarily all overhead center pivot type irrigation. What's the difference for you and how do you make the choice between the two? Well, you've been here, Darren, to our place. Uh, with the hills we've got, the terraces, the creeks, the ditches, to put in a pivot would just not be very efficient. Uh, we're 100% no-till. Putting the water up on those side hills, we would have a cause, you know, a concern of erosion. And the drip gets on all the corners. It uh, It's a no-till product. You know, we're 100% no-till anyway, like I said, and we don't have to worry about the erosion. It's a lot more efficient with the water. It is a bit more expensive first cost, but we think it's a really easy decision to make. You know, Netafim was a great company to work with. Uh, Nutri-Drip out of Hiawatha, Kansas was a great company. When, uh, when I first wanted to put drip in in the summer of 15, uh, there was more than one person that told me I was crazy. But working with Kurt Grimm of Nutri-Drip and, and then the guys from Netafim coming out, we made it happen, and I couldn't be happier. Talk to us about regulation. I know it varies depending on where you're at in the country. Is there a lot of regulation around irrigation where you're at? Is water plentiful? You know, we, we need to report our water usage, of course, and we've never bumped up against the top, uh, you know. But we drilled one well when we put in our first system, and that well, was is it's a big well, 1,500 gallons a minute. And Kurt always said he wished he had a well like that by his house. That, that'd be like gold, you know, in Kansas. So the, that well cost was $80,000, and we're irrigating 150 acres with it, and Kurt believes we could irrigate over 300 with that well. But on our other systems, our four other systems, we use surface water. And that's something I always make sure that I tell a a a customer when they can't want to come to our place that that's looking at putting drip in because it's much more affordable the pH of the water can be more appropriate and uh, I really like the surface water and when you're in Iowa those regulations you know they the water is more plentiful so we just don't have to worry about that quite as much and uh, just a lot easier to get around yeah, yeah, that makes a big difference, no doubt about that. Uh, what stuff look like this year, Kelly? What are you guys in the super dry area, and if so, how do you keep up? We had three tenths of an inch of rain actually this morning. That was unexpected, and we had three tenths of an inch of rain last Friday. Uh, so, but it's been hot, and dry, ninety degrees. The sun is shining, the breeze is blowing, and the drips running everywhere. And I'm really thankful for it. You know, we, we put it in in the fall of 15, and then the summer of 16, was, of course, then was our first experience. The summer of 17 was a bit dry, but since then, you know, we've had quite a little rain. Up until 20, it dried off, but, you know, in 20 with the derecho, it really, it, you know, it was different anyway. But this year being dry, it, the drip's really making a difference. You can, see, you, you can see the line between dry land and irrigation in the fields already. Now, you mentioned no-till, and certainly you can conserve some moisture that way. How big a difference has that made for your farm? It's made a tremendous difference, keeping that mat down, not turning that soil over. You know, every time you till the soil, I think it's like subtracting a four-tent rain. And then keeping the the stover on top of the ground uh, keeps the sun off. It helps it from drying out. You know, and then we're we're also a big believer in fertigation and spoon feeding that crop. I really don't like to turn it on without having something in there, just small amounts that we're putting out there all the time. 
Yeah, there's there's a lot to it, and I know it takes a little bit of fine tuning. So you got some boys that you're bringing up as well. Are you got any of those guys running these systems, or are you still overseeing that? You know, this year for the first time, uh, especially with my oldest son Connor graduating from Iowa State now, uh, they they're taking it over, and that you know we we moved uh, our mobile unit. We have one unit. Uh, it's got the pump, the motor, the filters on a semi trailer, and we moved that. Uh, to three different spots, and Connor and one of our guys, Corey, went over and started that up for, uh, at this new field for the first time this year, and I wasn't even there. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a whole family affair. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's all hands on deck on a lot of these operations. We're talking with Kelly Garrett. He farms in western Iowa. Kelly, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Good luck to you here through the rest of the growing season. Thank you, Darren. Have a good day. You bet. You as well. You know, Kelly made a, a number of points there, Brian, taking the opportunity when he's running water out there to put nutrients out at the same time. And, and kind of the same thing as Kevin was saying, you just can't get behind on this, especially with the, the drip irrigation, that it, it's tough to make it back up once once your soil's gotten too dry. Yes. Yep, absolutely. But, you know, we have enough years where irrigation can really pay. Then we also have some years where it just, quite frankly, doesn't pay at all. You look at 2018 and 2019 in our region, there was no point in running any irrigation out there because we had so much more than normal for natural rainfall, and it came on a very regular basis. Uh, to go along with this, I would also say, don't forget about drain tile. And I know it seems weird because we're talking irrigation on one side, and then we're talking about getting rid of water on the other side. But the whole thing is we want our soil to always be balanced. That's a big topic for us here on Ag PhD or a big uh, talking point is balance. So everything in moderation. We want to have balanced soil nutrients. We want to have balanced soil water. If you've got too much, we need to get rid of it. If you've got not enough, it would be nice if you can add some, whether it's through above ground irrigation or subsurface irrigation, if that is an option for you. The biggest thing I always talk to people about with the subsurface side is number one, it's going to cost more than if you put a pivot in. Okay. But the advantage is you can a lot of times use half the water because you don't have near the evaporation. And then the other big thing is you can get into, let's say, odd spots, weird shaped, I, I call them weird, uh, not standard, the, the standard square or circle where the pivot makes a lot of sense. If you've got small fields and they are shaped a little bit differently, then sometimes having that subsurface drip tape out there, that's a really good way to go for those kind of situations. So anyway, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot to learn with subsurface irrigation. If you've never done it before, uh, we certainly have used at least a little bit on our farm, not on a big scale or anything like that, like some of these other people have. But uh, I, I, I can just say it does not last forever. Of course, a pivot doesn't last forever either. So it's one of these things you've got to be checking on, you've got to maintain. But it's not only the water part, like Darren said, it is also the fertility aspect. So you can feed water and nutrients to your plants when you want. All right, let's jump back to the Ag PhD mailbag. All right, I got this one from Andrew, and he said, uh, you, you guys have been talking about post-emerge weed control and corn. I, all I remember from my childhood was helping my dad mix atrazine in on these post-emerge applications. My weed that I've got a problem with now is quack grass in corn. So what do you do for quack grass control in corn? Well, hopefully you have Roundup-resistant corn, 
and then you go spray Roundup and that takes care of it. Now, will you be able to use enough to kill that quackgrass? Probably not. You will have to come back in the fall or next spring with a big time rate. You can't use enough. The labeled rate of Roundup or any glyphosate is not high enough in corn to totally kill that quackgrass. But, oh, you can do some serious damage on it. You'll kill a bunch of the growing points. It's just you may not be able to kill every single one of them because you're a little bit limited by rate. Always got lots of questions here in the Ag PhD mailbag, and we'll get to some more of those questions coming up right after this. Stay tuned. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, Here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at Ag PhD we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. When it comes to crop disease, the longer you wait, the more damage you do. Stop the clock on crop disease with DuPont Approach Prima Fungicide from Corteva AgriScience. Approach Prima Fungicide quickly surrounds the surface of the plant for rapid absorption, then moves throughout the plant, providing full protection of each leaf and stem, even those that have yet to emerge. Uptake occurs on day one for healthier corn, soybean, or wheat crop that can deliver higher yield potential and increased revenue per acre. For more information, visit approachprima.corteva.us or your local crop protection retailer. Always read and follow label directions. Thank you. 
You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD if you have an agronomic question, or you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. That's exactly what Craig did. He said, guys, I've finished up my side dressing, but I'm curious about sulfur and what your thoughts are to see uh, how your thoughts compare to mine. Uh, we're using ammonium thiosulfate in with our side dress. We're putting on nine gallons, so we're getting about 27 pounds of sulfur. Just wondering what your thought is on that. Is that pushing it hard? Could I go even a little bit higher than that? I'm experimenting a little bit this year. Our soil test was low, only 6.3 parts per million, and we're trying to raise 250 bushel corn. Well, 27 pounds is a lot. And don't forget, you're going to get sulfur out of your soil's organic matter. We usually figure 2 to 3 pounds for every 1% of organic matter. So a 4% organic matter soil, that'd be another 8 to 12 pounds. So it's it's not bad. I, I mean, to think, well, let's put it this way. You can answer your own question by running some trials. So would I say 9 gallons is plenty? Yes. Would I spend more than that? No. But if you want to try Summit, 12 gallons, some at 15, some at 20 gallons. Do that and just run run a couple extra strips and just see if that yields more. And then that's going to help you answer your own question moving forward. All right. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that. Got this one from Robert. And oh boy, it mentions Tordon. So that always makes me a little bit nervous here. Robert says, we're in Illinois. We've got 20 foot wide grass terraces that birds continue to plant seeds in that end up Yeah, we being... talked about this the other day. Yeah. Did okay. we answer his question the other day? I'm 99% sure that we did. Uh, no, you, no, well. I don't know. Go, I, th- I thought go we ahead. had it in the queue, but I don't okay, think Okay, go ahead. I thought we talked about it, but so, go ahead. So he said, we're getting trees growing in these terraces, and we want to take them out. I've got a sprayer with 20-foot boom sections. What would you think about spraying Tordon out there? to kill the trees today, leave some residual out there maybe going forward, or is it too much risk near soybeans? Yeah, so I'm I'm sure we answered this question last week, and I just said, if it was me, I'd probably look at Remedy Ultra that has no residual. If you want to leave residual for a few years, Tordon will absolutely do that. But the problem is I worry a little about leaching down the hill, not obviously not up the hill, but I worry about leaching down the hill or down the terrace, and it just the impact that you might have long-term because if you throw, I mean, if it's me and I'm dealing with a small area, I'm putting a quart of Tordon on to stop trees from growing and thistles and stuff like that. Well, a quart is going to give you enough residual for 10 years, maybe 15. So it's a long-term deal. My point is this, if all of a sudden it starts leaching or for whatever reason did move a little bit, um, you're going to kill beans for 10 to 15 years. Now, you certainly could plant corn right near that terrace or in that field for 10 to 15 years, and we have actually done that in some cases where we've taken pasture out, just small chunks of little pasture, and somebody used graze on, maybe even us, and we said, all right, well, let's just leave it to corn for 8 to 10 years. We did that, planted beans again, and everything is fine, but it was quite a few years of continuous corn. So there are some crops that Tordon is not going to impact, and you could always plant those, but otherwise, no, we don't really like having Tordon anywhere near where you're going to raise a broadleaf crop, just to be on the safe side. All right, thanks for the question. We appreciate that. Uh, I got this one from Forrest. He says, uh, you guys were talking about foliar fertilizer. 
if you chelate your zinc sulfate first with fulvic acid and then add the boron last, it mixes better and be sure to jar test. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways to do things and the mixing order makes a difference. Having some water in there to allow better mixing helps. You know, certainly at this time of year, we're mixing in warmer conditions and a lot of times if you've got warm products, you got a little better shot than mixing. Seems like there's more problems with fertilizer when it's cold. So thanks for the tip. Yeah, we like the fulvic acid in there too on, on those foliar applications. All right, got this one from Jan down in South Africa. And Jan said, I was watching you guys talking about early planting into cold soils. Now, if you say your soil temp is between 46 and 56 degrees Fahrenheit, I'm wondering, is that average soil temp, average soil temp, that planting depth, is it minimum temp at planting depth? What, what are you talking about with these temperatures and what do you really look for to determine when it's okay to plant in cold soils? Okay, well, first of all, I don't care what the soil temp is. We're planting if the date says go. Uh, so that's the first, and as long as the ground is actually fit. So if the ground's fit and the date says go, then we plant. Uh, but what we're talking about is at four inches deep, what is the soil temperature that day? So it's not an average. It's not anything else. It's literally, what is it right now? Um, the reason why I don't care much about the soil temp is because we, we have a weather station on our farm from South Dakota State University. It's a fantastic weather station and it monitors like everything every five minutes. So I have all these reports every day. And the interesting thing to me is four inches deep in the soil, you would think, oh, that temperature is not going to change very often. Well, we have a relatively dry climate. So our, our soil typically doesn't have like crazy amounts of water in there. And we have drain tile. So the water table is never that high. My point is this, at four inches deep, it is not uncommon for me to see a seven degree swing in a day and a 10 degree swing happens from time to time. So if we say, oh, it's too cold today, it's 45 degree soil temps, but the soil is fit and I don't get out there and get my work done, tomorrow it starts raining and I'll, and the soil temp goes up to 55 and then I'm going, oh man, I wish I'd had my corn out there and now I can't plant for a week because it started raining. The geography we farm in, because it's cold and sometimes the rain, when it starts, it doesn't stop when we would like. So we might only have four good days to plant in the spring. Now this year, we could plant anytime we wanted to, but there are many years where it's just a few good days where it's timely. So we got to go. So as long as crop insurance is going to cover us, and there's a date for that. So like for us on corn, it's April 11th. On soybeans, it's April, I think it's 26th. So we will literally start on the first day of crop insurance planting, and we're going to push it as much as we can to get that done. I don't care what the soil temp is. As I say that, though, we do many extra things to overcome cold soil temperatures, everything from having amazing seed treatment to using some insecticide in furrow, some fungicide in furrow, some fertilizer in furrow, so we're, we're, and having good a good cold germination score on whatever seed it is we plant, whether it's corn or soybeans. So if you aren't doing all those things and you still want to plant in cold soils, that's where as an agronomist, if I'm advising a farmer who doesn't want to do those things, I go, ooh, I don't know. Maybe you want to wait a week or two and let the soil warm up. 
So for me, I know what the benefit of early planting is. I don't care if we're talking corn or soybeans. We gain yield when we plant early. So I'm willing to invest a few extra dollars to make darn sure that everything turns out good. And then the other big thing I would say, I mentioned cold germination scores. No seed company that I know of anyway puts their cold germination scores on their seed tag. I don't care if it's corn or soybeans. Okay, well, if the seed company doesn't give you that information and they're, they're just unwilling to provide that information, that means you need to bring your seed in and test it and find out. Because both Darren and I looked at all kinds of fields this spring where we go, wow, that stand is terrible. I can almost guarantee you their cold germination score was bad. And they just sold you seed and you thought you got a, this good deal on Oh, that's another thing. If some seed company's out there telling you, oh, we, we're going to do this great deal. I was talking to a guy... Um, this was two or three weeks ago, and he got all his VT double corn bought for like, I'm going to say $165 or whatever. And I go, okay, I'm guessing you got what the old stuff was. And a lot of times these seed companies are selling you, oh, the worm germ's okay. You know, that's what they have to put on the tag. And they just sold you stuff that was 65% cold germ. And that's the reason why he had a poor stand. I'm like, you think you're getting this good deal if any seed company is giving you some phenomenal deal price-wise, that tells you they're getting rid of their junk. And you should bring it in early and test it. And when the cold germ is bad, send it back. Don't plant it. Otherwise, if you want to plant it, plant it into warm soils. So the stuff we're planting in April in our geography, where we know darn well uh, there are going to be some days when the soil temp drops into the 30s, we've got to have a great cold germination score. By the way, do you know what temperature they do warm germination scores at? 77 degrees. Well, when when do you get 77 degree average soil temperature in South Dakota where we farm? Sometime in June. So since no one here wants to plant in June, everyone needs to bring their seed in early, test the cold score, and then plant it if it's okay. Well, we'll get to more of your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento Fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucento Fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at Ag PhD, we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, 
So be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, got one from Marty in North Carolina. He said, have you had any experience with, or what are your thoughts about using North Star herbicide for post-emerge weed control in conventional corn? So basically that's a combination of dicamba and beacon. We used to have North Star around in this area too, Brian. It's sure. been a while though. Well, yeah, it has. Okay. Shatter cane was one of the things. Right. Guys that had shatter cane and then well, wanted to use some dicamba to knock some broadleaves out. Okay, well, let's just split these things up. So first of all, is dicamba okay? Sure it is. Is it anywhere close to as good a status? No, it's not even in the same stratosphere. So if you want something better, it's going to cost you more money. But if you want something better, go to status. If you want something cheaper, go to the HPPDs like Callisto and throw just a little bit of atrazine with it, a quarter pound or something like that. And you'll spend like three or four dollars and you, you'll get a product that isn't or products that aren't going to volatilize much safer on the crop. So, yeah, I don't love straight dicamba, especially unsafe in dicamba like you're going to find in North Star. So would I use it? No way. Uh, the beacon in there, if we look at that one component, it's not going to be as good on most grasses as accent. So would I use that if I had some grass in my conventional corn? Not a chance. Uh, unless, of course, it was shatter cane. That's the one grass I would say beacon was superior on. So would I use that product? No. It would, it, would it work in some cases? Sure, it would. But just because the crop safety aspect and the fact that it's not great on the grass um, or, or well, it's just not going to be great on grass for two reasons. One, beacon isn't as good as accent. And two, when you throw dicamba together with beacon, it antagonizes the beacon and actually hurts the performance of the beacon slightly. So for all those reasons, you're never going to hear me recommend the use of North Star. Okay, got one from Jacob here. He said, can you side dress soybeans with anhydrous ammonia? Sure you can. Uh, if you want to side dress with anhydrous, we would just tell you the same thing we're always going to with anhydrous. Be really super careful because anhydrous is dangerous. Um, in terms of hurting the beans, you just have to make sure that the anhydrous gets sealed in the ground if you go too shallow or if you have 
poor conditions, a poor applicator, whatever, then the anhydrous can leak out and hurt the beans. So as long as you're careful, it's fine. I don't care what form of nitrogen you use. The, the better question is, do I actually need nitrogen for my soybeans? Darren and I were talking about that this morning just a little bit. And it's like, look, unless you're a brand new soybean grower where you've never raised beans before, so you don't have many of the bacteria in the soil, even if you double inoculate, you're still going to be ahead to put nitrogen on. Uh, another case would be if, let's say, you've had lots of flooding or you have really poor soil conditions, high salt, whatever, that would kill off your bacteria, by all means, use some nitrogen. Uh, another thing would be very light, low organic matter soils. And then finally, it's where you're going for really high yield. If you're going for over 80 bushels, over 100 bushels, then yeah, you probably do need some more nitrogen. And when you need that nitrogen is not necessarily flowering, but you got to make sure that the nitrogen's available to the plant during potting and filling. All right. Thanks for the questions. Again, a couple that came in on sorghum here, and uh, one is from Paul, wondering what the best pre- and post-programs are for sorghum that's concept-treated. And then another one from Darwin, who's got devil's claw in the Milo, and they've been using some husky and just wondering, is there a pre-emerge option that would help? They're doing atrazine, meso, and metolachlor. Okay, so first of all, when we start talking Milo, the product that I prefer, uh, pre-emerge anyway, is going to be Verdict. The reason why I like that is Outlook is a group 15, so it's going to be similar to Dual, uh, like you're using right now. Uh, but then you've got Sharpen in there. And Sharpen's a PPO. There is no PPO that's labeled post-emerge in uh in corn but anyway or or milo i should say but uh with that verdict because you've got outlook that has a little activity on small seeded broadleaves and lots of activity in grass then you've got sharpen that's a really good burn down product plus it has at least uh, two to four weeks worth of really good residual on broadleaves you got one heck of a product there. Now, uh, it's not the best on Devil's Claw or anything, but at least it's going to give you some suppression. So that's probably what I would be using pre. And then post-emerge, um, Husky is nice. I, I, I do really like Husky. It's a combination of Bucktrol and an HPPD that would be somewhat similar to Callisto. Now, if you want to throw a little bit of atrazine in with that, I get it. I don't love atrazine pre-emerge, although you could do it because a lot of Milo is raised in dry country and we don't have issues with atrazine environmentally if you don't have leaching. Okay, so if you're in a dry geography, you can use the atrazine pre or post. It's just if you're in a wet geography with light soils, we're always going to tell you use the atrazine post because there's a lot less issue then of groundwater contamination. But yeah, I would say overall, um, it's verdict down, husky, and then get some atrazine somewhere in the program. That's our favorite stuff. You can also use some dicamba post-emerge if you want to. I just, I, I don't like that as much, but it certainly could be used. You just can't use a very high rate in Milo. Eight ounces is it, whereas in corn, you can use 16 ounces. So the dicamba, it's not going to kill as many weeds, obviously, if you're using a half rate. All right. We've got some tissue sample results in here from Todd in central Illinois. He said page one is five samples from five fields. Page two is tissue sample and soil sample from 
the price field and page three is tissue sample and soil sample from the knuckles field. And he said, I'm wondering if you'd provide a recommendation, what you would do in season to try to improve all these fields. Uh, and also some comments as to why we may be seeing these low and deficient results in tissue tests where the associated soil sample at the same grid location often shows sufficient too high. Not sure why we might not be seeing nutrient uptake. Okay. Well, first of all, part of it is rainfall. And then the second thing, I mean, if you don't have rain, then that doesn't push nutrients in, even though they may show up as adequate on a soil test, unless they're high on the soil test, they're just not going to get into the plant. So just as I'll give you an example. Uh, when I look at this one field, let's see, this is, uh, it looks like Nichols uh, field. So your phosphorus is only 62 pounds. Your potassium is only 363 pounds. So that gives you 3.6 base saturation K, which we would call deficient. But a lot of people are going to call that enough. They're going to call that sufficient. Well, it's not sufficient in our book. And it's, and then that's the reason why if you look at your potassium levels, they're going to show up low in that tissue almost all season long. I don't care if you have rain. You don't have enough potassium out there. Don't let people tell you you've got enough. Same thing on the phosphorus. You can't raise a great crop with 62 pounds of available pea. I, I mean, your, your crop would literally have to take every single thing out and your soil would have to magically create a whole bunch more phosphorus that I don't think it's going to happen. So you just don't have enough. And even in this other field, let's see, this is the price field where you get 120 pounds of phosphorus. That's decent, but you know, what decent for what kind of, uh, what kind of yield level? What, what kind of yields is he shooting for, Darren? Did you, did you say, did I miss that? Didn't say. Okay. So let's put it this way. If I had 120 pounds of phosphorus, would I feel good if I was going for 180 bushel corn? Yeah, I think I'd feel pretty good. Would I feel good if I was going for 250 or 280? Not a chance. You're not even close. So you've got to get more phosphorus out there. Phosphorus doesn't move well in soil. So it, it unless your roots find every possible ounce of it out there, they're just it's it's insufficient. And like in that field, here here's an example. We're at 2.7% base saturation K. Now I realize you're testing at V6, the plant tissue, and it's showing high on K, but I will promise you that at some point during the growing season, if you go out and you test every single week, that you will find your K levels will end up being low to deficient more often than not. Okay. Early on, keep in mind, the plant doesn't need much. It needs a little bit. And if it lucks out and happens to hit a high fertility zone, uh, you know, it hit a few pellets of P or K or something, it's fine in the short term. But where you really separate the good from the great fields is when you're able to supply nutrients even right at the peak growth stages. So you start taking a look at V12 and you get back to me on how it's looking, but your K is going to be too low. So you just don't have enough in the soil. That's what it amounts to. And then beyond that, we would encourage you um, just keep working on micronutrients too. I, I see your boron's low, your zinc's low, um, your copper's low. Well, your copper isn't that bad, but it, it's a little bit for me on the low side. But, you know, boron and zinc especially, I'd be working on bumping those. They're fairly inexpensive nutrients. So you do though, you, you get a little more out there and it really should help you. Hey, thanks for the questions and kudos to you for pulling those grid soil samples, getting some tissue samples here and there to compare right on those grid points. It's really good learning experience right there for your farm. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.